This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. In the busy, bustling world of racehorse syndication, the name of Star Thoroughbreds continues to rate very highly. The company was founded way back in 1992 by a live-wire young lady from Tasmania called Denise Martin. Denise started her professional life in Tassie as a schoolteacher, but an innate sense of adventure soon took her to England where she found herself in the hospitality industry. She became very proficient in the marketing sphere and worked for some of the world's biggest chains over the next few years. During a stint in Melbourne, Denise met Gay Waterhouse, to whom she floated an idea she'd been nurturing for quite a long time. And from that conversation, Star Thoroughbreds was born and remains one of the leaders in the market 26 years on. Denise's fascination with Thoroughbreds began when she would go to the races with her dad to Mowbray and other racetracks in Tasmania. Denise Martin is online to talk to us on the podcast. Thanks for your time, Denise. You're welcome, John. Hey, let's go back a little bit. Your dad, Geoffrey, who is known universally as Paddy, was a great all-round sportsman as a young man. I believe he ran fourth in the stall gift one year. Well, Dad was uh, amazing. He was one of those uh, sports people who was able to do everything. He was a good cricketer, very good cricketer, um, an exceptional um, AFL footballer, Aussie rules footballer, and he could do other things as well. He was a good swimmer, good runner, just, I guess, these days he'd be called an all-rounder. He's 92 years old, Denise. Yes, he is. He's still alive in Tassie and he's going great guns, so bless his heart. He was inducted into the Tasmanian Hall of Fame a long time ago, but he's had a couple of upgrades since then. Yes, well, he was a a Hall of Fame inductee about 20 years ago, and about four or five years ago, he was made an icon. So I guess when you reach that level of of acknowledgement um, in the industry, uh, in the profession, you know, you're thought to be pretty special, and he is. He had a very big business in Launceston, wholesaling sportswear, sports gear, footwear, and he carried some of the iconic brands. Yes. Well, when Dad um, gave up um, football playing and coaching, he um, he at the time was a, a senior executive with Shell because uh, in that time frame you had a proper job. People weren't professional sportsmen. They had other careers, and when Dad finished playing footy, he decided that he wanted to do something else. He was asked by a number of um, Melbourne executives at the time to take on the dealership in Tassie of brands that, I guess, in the 60s, weren't 60s and early 70s, maybe weren't so well known at that time, Reebok, Puma, uh, and so forth. And mm-hmm. um, he uh, he marketed those brands in Tassie and got to know many of the Uh, ambassadors who were aligned to those brands over the years and became quite friendly with a number of them. Mm. And he'd bring them home for lunch, you were telling me, Denise. Every now and again, he'd turn up at your place with a sporting superstar. Yes. Well, uh, at the same time, um, other than marketing these uh, new sports brands in Tassie, he was asked to appear periodically on the Launceston TV station, Channel 9 as it was, and, and I, I guess the program was called the equivalent of Wide World of Sports, I can't mm. remember, but he would go up periodically 
to Channel 9 to comment on football, Victorian football, uh, cricket, tennis, whatever, you know, the sport was relevant at the time. And he would often bring home to family home a visitor who'd been brought over by uh, the TV station to Launceston. And from time to time, I know that he entertained, you know, some really well-known personalities from within Australia and sometimes, you know, from overseas as well. It was a bit of a passing parade there for a while. Can you drop a few names? Oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, over the years, um, I know Dawn Fraser was entertained and and uh, Dad was very friendly with the late Ron Clark, the runner. Mm. Um, I know Herb Elliott was there for a while and well-known tennis players and, you know, some very famous John Conrads, I remember, mm. you know, came home one day. So people from all... Uh, walks of life and certainly from all sports it was uh, mm. it was really interesting but when you're very young you don't always know who these people are if you do mm. uh, you know that they're very famous but I guess years later you only recognize how famous they are yeah exactly well your dad was a very busy man you'd wonder how he would ever find time to become a hobby horse trainer but he did and you yes. often went along to the races when he had a runner <laughs> Yes, well, Dad was very friendly with a number of trainers in Melbourne. Um, I know especially the late George Hanlon. And uh, on more than one occasion, he brought tried horses from Victoria to Tassie, and they were really successful. So I was um, probably in my teens at the time and go to the races with Dad and thought it was great fun. Um, and I guess at the time, that's probably where the the initial interest in racing um, you know, stemmed from, and it just grew from there. The marketing side of the hospitality industry became your chosen field and it took you everywhere. You worked for some very famous chains. What were they? Oh, well, in England, I worked for Trust House Forte. In South Africa, I worked for their main company called Southern Sun. I lived there for a number of years. And in Australia, I worked for uh, hotels such as The Regent, uh, Sheraton, uh, and um, uh, I had a, a wonderful period on the Gold Coast when I was in the opening team of what became Jupiter's Casino. And it was a, uh, an amazing time because the Gold Coast hadn't seen a development of that size and style before, mm -hmm. and Hilton hadn't had an overseas hotel for many years. So it was, I think it was fairly groundbreaking, and we had an amazing time. I remember the uh, the team at the hotel used to tell me stories about um, talking to local suppliers about producing orange juice or or other foodstuffs or equipment for the hotel. And mm. and on one occasion, I, I remember the um, uh, the man involved in negotiating these contracts said he'd spoken to a local supplier about producing about 10,000 litres of orange juice. Mm. And the, the, the supplier said, I think I can do that in a year. And he said, try a month. Good. So, <laughs> It changed yeah. the face of the Gold Coast when the casino was yeah. uh, was uh, was uh, developed there, and and it was a, a great time of my life. I found it very interesting and mm. you know very stimulating. It was terrific. Your long experience with marketing was always going to be a plus in racehorse syndication. It gave you a flying start. Well, I simply felt that if I aligned myself to a leading trainer. Um, and asked that person to assist me initially at least mm. to find the horses, to determine which were best the best buys for me, which would work for me mm. and my business. Mm. Then I would say to that trainer, if you look after the people, 
look after the horses, I beg your pardon, I'll mm. look after the people. Yes, yeah. And that's that's how it was always going to be. The trainer would train the horse, program the horse, care for the horse, mm. and I would look after the people. And hopefully uh, the two elements would work very well together. Now, you actually bounced the idea off a well-known Melbourne male trainer, but you didn't get much of a hearing. Well, I guess realistically, now if I look back, it was probably the you know, the right thing for him to say. Why would he imagine that a hotel executive with no immediate experience in, in racing would be able to do what I had planned to do? Mm. And so he politely just said, well, look, come back in a few years and I'll see how you're going. And if it's working, we can talk then. Well, I didn't need that answer at that time. Mm. And so I thought, time to move on and once, uh, you know, I'd been, um, uh, you know, once I'd been told that maybe it was something I should reconsider, it might be a good idea. Mm. I gave up the, uh, you know, that plan for probably four or five months until the spring of 1992. And then mm. I started again, thought it was a good idea. You were working in a Melbourne hotel and Gay and Robbie Waterhouse were staying at that hotel and you arranged to have coffee one morning what do you remember about that fateful meeting? You'd never actually met her before that? Oh, no, I knew her in Sydney. Mm. Um, I knew Gay when I'd worked in Sydney before I went to Melbourne, oh, yeah. and I didn't know Gay well, but I knew who she was, and I'd met her at different functions, racing events, and, you know, I admired her. I had admired and still do. Um, but mm. then, of course, it was the period when Gay was trying to, um, you know, to get a trainer's licence, and she'd fought very hard. Uh, to make that happen, and I thought it was tremendous. So mm. I thought if this person can overcome obstacles, then surely I can as well, with people thinking it's a, a strange, uh, you know, twist to go from hotel marketing and management to mm. racehorse syndication, but I was prepared to try it. So mm. I said to Gay, I'm thinking of um, of applying for a licence to sell racehorses in syndication, what do you think of the idea? And Gay said, terrific. Mm. And it was as simple as that. And so I, I commenced the um, I commenced the trail of, of paperwork and applications and discussions and interviews with the relevant departments in racing to see whether this would be something I could do. It took about three months. And by the end of 1993, mm. um, beginning of 1993, I think, the, the license was approved and Away we went. I left Melbourne, came to Sydney, and here we are, 26 years later. Now, you set your office up at Tullock Lodge, and Star Thoroughbreds was open for business. But it wasn't, yes. it wasn't a flying start, Denise. The first yearling you purchased was a grey cult by Ken Mayer, later to be known as French Roulette. Now, Gay suggested you should take a photo of him at the sales and distribute it to potential clients, and you suddenly found out you were no photographer. Well, I thought I was an okay photographer, just not of horses. <laughs> and <laughs> I hadn't realised that there's obviously a, a particular style and professional photographers throughout Australia do a wonderful job these days. I had no idea that there was a way to take a racehorse. You didn't stand near its head you just stood you know with the horse on its side and the problem was you know when I took that photograph in that time frame way back in 1992 and 3 mm. um, I think it was 93 the horse was grey and I remember when I got the photograph back through a digital camera at the time 
the photograph was blue. And I thought, well, now how am I going to go trying to talk to some of my industry colleagues, business associates, and to ask them whether they would like to have a share of a horse um, that was grey? But all they could see was that he was blue. Mm. So you learn as you go, and I'm hoping it was better uh, at that uh, at that task these days. But initially, the photograph was mm. not good. <laughs> now, today's French roulette didn't race for your syndicate. Uh, you gave him three barrier trials, I noticed, but you didn't start him, and he finished up uh, in Western Australia where he had a handful of runs without winning. Yes. Look, he wasn't talented. Um, as you said, it wasn't an auspicious start, but um, I remember the second and third horses we bought mm. did win races, so learn as you go. But French roulette wasn't special and we sold him to, to Western Australia fairly quickly after um, uh, we realised here that you just didn't have the talent to win races in Sydney. Didn't take you long to come up with a really lovely filly, Dan Glisser. By Dan Zero, she won six races, 834,000 in the 1990s. And she won that Princess Series, Denise, the Furious, the T-Rose and the Flight Stakes. Oh, she was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. We paid, um, I remember I paid 40000 for her, which I guess now might be something in the order of maybe 100, 120, who knows, but mm. she was lovely. I bought her from Jeff and Beryl White, I remember, from Beamer, mm. and she was a good filly straight away, I recall very distinctly. It was amazing. She won at Canterbury. Glenn Boss rode her and said, I think she's pretty good, this filly. Mm. She was the first emergency for the Golden Slipper, and we didn't get a start. She was number 17. And at the time, all of the owners were crushed because their dream was to have a slipper runner. Mm. But uh, come the spring, she won the Princess Series, which now I might say we've actually won three times this year in, again with Fiesta. Yeah. But then it was... Uh, it was the first, as you said, she won the Furious, the T-Rows and the Princess Series. Mm. She went to Melbourne and ran third in the Wakeful and came back in the autumn and won what is now the equivalent of the Queen of the Turf. was a Group so, 2 back then. was, yes. Group yeah. 1 now, Group 2 then. Jerry Harvey bought her for a very big sum way back then and she was a moderate producer. She wasn't special, but she was okay. Mm. But some of her daughters now have become really decent uh, rude mares, and, you know, the family's still quite strong, breeding family's still quite quite strong. Easily your biggest success story was Sebring, a more-than-ready cult who won five from six. He only had six starts. He won the Slipper. He won the Sires Produce Stakes. He won $2.5 million and he sold as a stallion for $28 million. A dream come true for those syndicate members. Well, it's an amazing story. Uh, when he was initially offered by Corrin Stud, he was a pass-in, and the colt was a lovely physical specimen, but at that time, it might seem bizarre now, uh, more than really wasn't a popular, uh, popular stallion. And mm. Australians knew of him at the time because he produced Benicio to win the derby in Melbourne, but he was thought to be primarily a sire of speed horses, mm. American horse. Anyway, the more than ready colt was lovely. Uh, George Altamonte is a marvellous breeder. He presented him in outstanding order. But the mother, Madame, hadn't won a race after 17 starts. She was a maiden, 17 start maiden. Mm. And so I'd seen him, loved the colt, but just thought I wasn't sure that the market would take him, would want him. Mm. 
So I went back to see George after day two of the sale and said, you know, the colt's still here. Uh, I'd be very interested in buying him. We negotiated a price which became 130000 I think George originally wanted 150. Mm. And so I bought the horse and offered him to um, a big number of my major owners at that time. But a more than ready colt out of a non-winning 17-start mare wasn't to their liking. Mm. So after about three months, two or three months on the market, I took him off the market and I presented uh, the horse to a new group of owners some five or six months later, just at the time equine influenza hit Sydney, about a fortnight before equine influenza uh, mm. arrived in Sydney at the end of August 2007. So it became very difficult because the horses at the stables were sick, the horses with the flu, the horses at the farms couldn't move. Uh, the entire state was in quarantine. Nothing was going anywhere. There were no there were no um, races. So it was it was quite harrowing because um, I'd had a colt on the market for a short period, having offered him initially six months before, mm. and people weren't interested in racing at the time because nothing was happening here. But uh, we entertained Gay and I, Gay and I entertained a, a large number of people and said. We think this is a really good style of colt. He was in pre-training at Muskoka Farm. Mm. We'd heard from the team there that the uh, the colt was seemingly very talented. So a group came together at the end of November 2007. The horse came in at the beginning of November, beginning of December, uh, when the quarantine uh, restrictions were lifted. Mm. And about three weeks later, he barrier trialled. He won... Uh, early in January, won a race at Rose Hill early in January. And in that year, 2008, the Golden Slipper was obviously late because racing was so late getting back into the swing of things in December. Mm. And he just kept winning. Mm. And after he'd won the, the Breeders' Plate, I realised that he was really special and that breeders were interested in purchasing him. So it was an extraordinary ride for the owners and me mm. to work through those negotiations with studs to determine where the horse would go and who would buy him. Denise has been telling the Sebring story and we're going to... It's hard to believe, Denise, that several people knocked him back for a start and you had to bear all costs for almost a year before that syndicate was formed. Yes, well, that's what syndicators do. We... We pay everything for the horse until an ownership group is finalised and the owners take right title. So that's the nature of the business. And sometimes the horses sell very quickly. Sometimes they take quite a time to sell. But at the end of the day, the, the, the time frame from purchase to partnership being formed has no correlation between the talent the horse has. No. And uh, often, or not often, but from time to time anyway, the horses that are not initially popular become very talented. Mm. Denise, we'll get you to stand by. We'll take a quick break on the podcast. Back in a moment. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most dealings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself 
with English number one in its field. Talking to Denise Martin, founder of the very famous racehorse syndication company Star Thoroughbreds. Denise Thessio was an absolute ripper. He was a gelding, so he was allowed to have 40 starts. He won 11 of them, 3.2 million. What a super horse. He won five group ones and he had 10 individual owners. He was fantastic. He was just every owner's dream. Uh, Sebring, of course, was the fairy tale uh, financially and, uh, uh, you know, for a group of people who came together to, to race a colt. But Cesio was very special because he raced at the elite level for a good part of his career. He was just uh, known as an iron horse. He gave the owners an extraordinary thrill. He won the McKinnon which at the time uh, at Flemington uh, was on Derby Day. So to win a Group 1 in Melbourne on Derby Day at Flemington was really special, but his Epsom win was great. Uh, His other Group 1s were super. He was just a terrific racehorse. Dargento has done the colours proud. So far in just 12 starts, he's won four with four placings, and he got his Group 1 already, uh, Denise, in winning the Rose Hill Guineas this year. And he went so well in the Epsom, it was a shame to see him get beaten. Well, Epsom Day 2018 was uh, was an extraordinary day because we had two runners that day in Group 1s. We had Dargento in the Epsom, as you said, and we had a really talented filly called Fiesta uh, in the Flight Stakes. And both were in the market. I think Dargento was not favourite, but he was he was well in the market. And Fiesta was probably a an eight or ten to one chance, mm. although she had won a group two about a month prior. John, both horses ran second, Fiesta in the flight stakes and Dargento in the Epsom, and both were beaten a nose. Mm-hmm. And the races followed one another. Well, uh, if racing is often said to be a character-building experience. I said to people after that day, I have more than enough um, character in the cupboard. I don't want any more. <laughs> Fiesta's a lovely filly. Uh, she's by the brilliant sire, I Am Invincible. She's already won 602000 What did she cost? Well, I bought her at the classic sale, the English classic sale, and she cost me 150 And I thought she was one of the best buys ever because I knew at the time uh, not only how well I'm Invincible was going, but I knew that he was just continuing to, you know, to to charge up the ladder uh, in terms of quality, success stories, high quality horses uh, performing at the elite level. So I thought 150,000 for her was actually a really good buy. She was a beautiful horse. Lovely, well put together filly, great nature, huge determination in her, uh, you know, throughout her career with her races. Mm. And Hugh Bowman said after the flight stakes for the last 50 or 80 metres in the flight stakes, she was on empty, but mm. she just gave it her all and nearly pulled it off. She's a cracking filly. Salaman has been a very handy horse, Denise, another English purchase. He's won pretty close to half a million now. Well, he was an, um, he's another interesting story because I bought him in Melbourne. Um, I love the progeny of 
of Mosman. I think they're tough, determined horses. They can race until they're much older in their racing lives. And I thought he was a gorgeous horse when I saw him in Melbourne. He wasn't an expensive colt, cost me 90000 mm. and a really good value purchase, we thought, at the time. Well, he went to Queensland as a two-year-old and won a stakes race and came back, and he just didn't seem to be you know, racing at the level that we thought he would reach. So Chris said, I think it's wise to geld him. Owners at the time were not so sure, but they took the advice of the trainer, gelded the, the horse, and he came back for a, a fair preparation after he was gelded. Mm. We gave him a lovely spell of six or seven weeks. And when he returned as a, a four-year-old, um, he just never looked back. Uh, he's just... He's just a, a cracking horse. He mm. was awarded the, uh, if there's such a term, the winningest horse mm. uh, in New South Wales in, in the city uh, in the year, the racing year ended, uh, 2018, 17 and 18. Mm. He had 14 starts for seven wins and four placings. And before he went out for a break, he won the Doncaster Prelude at Rose Hill. So he's one of those horses who eight wins, and just many more to come. Uh, you like to put a group of people together and hope the horses will do that. And He's just a lovely, lovely animal, really nice horse. Denise, your prospectus clearly explains that buying yearlings is a high-risk business and there are absolutely no guarantees. Have you ever had a disgruntled customer? No. Look, people understand, I think, when they pick up the phone to ask about a shear of a horse that they... They must review um, all the material that syndicators present to explain how the partnership would operate, who trains the horse, training costs, the things that we pay, because if the horse is purchased for 50000 55 with GST, syndicators pay quite a number of costs straight away. Uh, the race series nomination for William Inglis is paid, the um, breaking in costs are paid, insurance is paid whilst the syndicator has the horse under his or her own care. And when the shares are presented for whatever the price might be, the potential investor or share owner can then determine whether he wants to do that. Nobody forces them to, nobody takes them to the brink, holds a you know knife at their, their head to say, look, this is what you've got to do. Mm. They have to make the decisions themselves on whether they want to to take that next step. So I always ask people who pick up the phone to inquire about owning a share of the horse, what they're looking for. And if immediately they're talking about dollars, I always say, I wonder if this is for you. Because what we've tried to provide with STAR is a really good experience. We care for people, I believe, really well. Chris trains the horses at Rose Hill. And people who would like a horse with Chris Waller know that if they come to STAR, they they buy into an ownership of a horse that I like, my team like, Chris's vet likes, and the trainer mm. likes himself. So it's a mm. it's a you know it's a it's a comprehensive um assessment of whether we're trying to buy the right horses for the owners and i think pretty much everybody these days understands that you're not guaranteed to get a horse to the track although the trainer will do his best to do whatever he can to make it happen four years ago your long-running partnership with gay waterhouse ended it happened overnight it appeared to be amicable but it certainly generated a lot of speculation 
and many different theories. Well, it was just time for a change. I'd had 21 wonderful years there and I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, we had tremendous success. We, uh, you know, we were great friends. We go to the races together, the, the sales together. But life and times change. And Chris was a developing and emerging young trainer at the time. And I could see for the, the, um, the future, uh, that was probably the way for Star to go. And so I approached Chris just at the time of Magic Minions in 2014 and asked him if he would work with me and that he would uh, take the Star Horses from that time onwards. And he did. So I left all of the other horses with Gay uh, that were already there, the named horses. And going forward, I um, moved my business to Rose Hill and we've been there now five years. You aim for a total of 25 yearlings every year. Now, do you get help with inspections and pedigree analysis and all the other things you have to do? Yes, I work with a number of people, uh, but at the end of the day, when I'm provided with uh, details on a variety of horses that I can look at at different sales, then I will always make the final decision myself because I have to buy them. I own Star. I have to pay for them. I have to buy them. But with most businesses, there are a team of people involved and I've got really great people working with me. So uh, it's a great help when you have support groups that are on the same page, think like you, work very closely with you. It's very uh, it's a very busy time at a yearling sale and I like to be very organised and have information with me long before the first horse goes in the ring. Denise, I was very interested to learn that your only sister is married to a very well-known horse trainer in Tasmania, Barry Campbell, who was a Hall of Fame trainer down there. Yes, well, Anne was um, and still is a very active equestrian rider and as a young person, um, she was a, a very good equestrian herself and for a few years she rode in, uh, in those days they had what they called lady jockeys mm. races and she became quite friendly. I remember way back then with Pam O'Neill who was a trailblazer for uh, women riding in uh, regular Saturday race races in Queensland. Mm-hmm. But, yes, nowadays they have a successful um, stable in Tassie and they have real success down there. So it's great interest for my family and friends there that the, the horses in Tassie are very separate to the horses here. We have a, a small number there that we race with a few friends, but our main focus up here, of course, is at Rose Hill. So they complement each other very well. English have their catalogues ready to go, Denise, for the classic yearling sale in Sydney and the premier yearling sale in Melbourne. The classic catalogue is up and going. It's also online. And uh, the premier sale catalogue will be available Monday week. Fantastic. The new complex at Warwick Farm uh, with William Inglis is, is brilliant. It's absolutely superb. Caters for everything. The facilities are better than first class and it's just going to to go from strength to strength out there. I see the classic sale in Sydney as the emerging sale in Australian racing. It's growing. The quality has just gone from uh, moderate horses, I guess, 25 years ago, if I can use that term, 
maybe better than moderate, but they were okay without being special. When I bought my first two or three there, they all won races. But these days, the English uh, classic sale has become a very big focus for people in my, my segment of the industry. I think syndicators realise that there are other sales that are more expensive because of uh, high-grade pedigrees and, you know, special uh, special cults especially that are offered at other sales. But the English sale for syndicators is a tremendous sale and I can see increasingly it's going to become more and more important for, for Star and probably other syndicators as well. Denise, I'm sure your parents, Tessa and Paddy, are very proud of their daughter's achievements on the mainland. The founder and managing director of Star Thoroughbreds, you've certainly made your mark in a very tough business, and you can look forward to many more of those magic moments when the purple with the white stars and the white cap flash past the post in front. Where did the colours come from? Oh, well, originally they were... um I think they were gays because Pauline Blanche, who had worked for um, TJ for so many years, uh, developed the Colours for Gay when she originally um, acquired her licence because Tullochlodge had the the world-famous green and blue stripes of TJ's Colours. And shortly after I established Star, um, I took over the Colours and they've been Star Colours for 25 years. So they're very well known now and the... You know, the fact that Star is the name of the business, they're purple and white stars, it uh, it just works very well for the, the brand. And I guess the horses are identified as Star horses now just simply because of the colours. There's no there's no notation on the colours with, um, uh, with the name of the business. I don't think we need them because hmm. Star is Star and the purple and white are, are very well known now. Denise, been a delight chatting. Thank you so much for joining us. Star Thoroughbreds is 26 years old and we might do this interview again after another 26. I'm not sure about that, John, but (laughs) (laughs) we're certainly going very strong at the moment and having a great time. It's, It's terrific. So thank you very much for talking to me. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. 